Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on our continued quest to become better, braver, happier painters. This week, we're back in the United States with an amazing artist, Eric Swinson. Um, he has done some absolutely fantastic pieces and won some awards both nationally and internationally. Um, he is a fantastic person to talk to, and I think you'll all enjoy his interview. You can follow anything that he's doing on Eric underscore Swinson at Instagram. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes. So without further ado, award-winning artist, Eric Swinson. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, um, it's been a few years since we actually got a chance to to talk face to face. I believe that uh, last time we saw each other was at the Nova Open. Um, and you may not remember me, but I'm the guy uh, you had given me a lot of helpful feedback on a piece I did that had two little girls looking at each other through a wall. I um, definitely I definitely remember. And I specifically remember that piece, yeah. which I hope uh I, I hope says something about the piece because I probably only remember like five figures out of the the two hundred and something. So yeah, it was uh, it was really cool and well, thank it you. had uh, great storytelling to it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, and I, I the reason why I brought that up is just I wanted to say thank you to you uh, for being approachable and providing awesome feedback for me. Actually, I have the note card. Because I don't know if you remember, I whip out a note card anytime somebody gives me feedback and I put them on my wall and that's actually still sitting on my wall and I read it. And when I'm looking for st- hints on contrast and such, um, I go there. <laughs> so thank you for, for taking the time for that. Um, oh, you're welcome. I, I try and uh, I try and be pretty approachable at, at conventions. I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to come up and talk about miniatures. Don't ask me what more machine or what what uh warhammer army i'm playing though because i always get funny looks when people are like so what game are you playing this weekend i'm like none <laughs> <laughs> hey, i'm the i'm the same exact way i i think i've played one age of sigmar game and that was right after it came out and then previous to that it was nearly 25 years since i played warhammer so <laughs> i'm right with you man but uh, also one of the things i always try to encourage our listeners too is that um is to approach people you know like uh, go ahead and approach amazing painters and teachers out there and ask for feedback because um y'all are the best source of it so that's kind of why i brought uh that part of it up but uh what i wanted to start with uh and i know you've probably done this on other shows and such but would you mind giving us a little bit uh, of a taste of your origin story and the hobby and how you got started out sure i think i mean it's probably very similar to to most others but uh I used to paint Gundam models when I was a teenager. And then when I was in my early twenties and, you know, had some disposable income, my uh, buddy of mine introduced me to Warhammer as like, Hey, I know you like painting models. Why don't we play this game where you can paint them and then play with them. So I started, uh, started playing Warhammer. I played some Death Guard in 40k and then switched to playing War Machine. And uh, I eventually kind of found out that I just enjoy painting them more than actually playing the games. But I still find still find some time to play some tabletop miniatures game every once in a while. I love playing Kingdom Death with my uh, roommate, my couple of buddies come over like on Fridays and we'll we'll sit down and play our campaign. So that's pretty cool. Now, um, so you've been, you've been painting for a bit. What did you? What decision, or how did you make the decision to kind of say, "I want to take my painting to the next level"? Um, um, probably just from like we always. I feel like my local store had always been pretty good about encouraging people to paint their models, so we would always give out a best painted prize for like. Hey, this time it's the best painted solo or best painted HQ model or best painted unit. And it would encourage people from month to month to get something new painted for the tournament. And after winning a few times at that, people were like, Hey, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, you know, maybe I should, uh, I should try my hand at like a, an actual competition. So what was your first competition? 
my first competition was the P3 Grandmaster, uh, which is Privateer Press's painting competition at Lock and Load in 2017, I believe. So. Wow, that, uh, is, that is a fast journey because fast forward to what 2019 and uh, to a best in show at the Capitol Palette. <laughs> that's pretty damn awesome, man. Man. So uh, I, along that process, too, though, um, if I understand correctly, um, you had done some traveling too, to uh, take classes, right? Um, if I remember correctly, I'd heard you had actually gone to Europe to take class. To take class. I've, I've never taken a class in Europe. Oh, I've okay. taken, um, I've, I've honestly, I've only taken a handful of classes. I've taken, uh, I've watched some YouTube videos, like when I was starting out, uh, the old painting Buddha videos on YouTube by mm-hmm. Ben Comets are, are right. still amazing. But honestly, like most of my learning was just like looking at cool mini or not and trying to replicate what I saw. And then um, I'd taken, I've taken classes with uh, Banshee and I have uh, taken a class with Sergio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then honestly, that's, that's about it. But I did do uh Banshee has his miniature art academy and this was uh 2018 i think he had he was he was at nova open and he had told me about how he was going to open up his patreon and i was really looking to uh up my painting but i didn't know exactly who to approach to do it and he had like a, a he has like a private coaching thing so I did that for a little while and honestly I think that was probably the thing that like took me from being a good painter to like really stepping up to to where I am now so yeah and I know you took the Sergio class because you were actually we were sitting right next to my co-host Dan but you <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah actually I was, I was bummed I was supposed to go there too but I had a family thing come up I was like no um but yeah because I was at Huzzah right I think that was at Huzzah, yeah. Yeah, it was at Huzzah Hobbies. Yeah, that's a, I, I love it when they come over and do the tours. I can't wait for that to happen again. Oh, well, hopefully but soon. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. We need to get Roman Laplatte back in the States too, for sure. Um, so now uh, along kind of the lines of Europe, though, I do know that you, uh, re- you competed a few years ago in Europe, right? Like you brought a, a beautiful orc piece that was a unique sculpt there, right? Yes, so I went to Monte San Savino in Italy, which honestly is uh, was mind blowing the level of uh, work that was there. Um, I, yeah, I, I had a custom sculpt by Joaquin Palacios, who is my all time favorite sculptor and a wonderful human being. Uh, he sculpted um, when I was talking to him about doing a custom piece. Uh, for specifically for either Crystal Brush or that show, um, we both, you know, and he, we both love orcs, so we we landed on doing a Warcraft piece, and uh, yeah, it was uh, and a crazy experience. It's the best miniature painting experience I've ever had in this hobby. Um, can, can you t- uh, elaborate a little bit more about that? Because I know that's something that that that's kind of like the bucket list is to hit Europe for me at some point, and whether it be Salute or Montesano Savino or something along those lines. Can you? Is there any chance you could do kind of some like compare and contrast between like a U.S. show and maybe sure, sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think the big, I think the biggest difference between what is a European show and what's an American show is that. Every American show other than, let's say, like MFCA, which is mostly historical stuff, and I've never been, so I can't speak exactly, but uh, all of our painting competitions and shows are all attached to conventions that are focused on wargaming, right? And then the, the miniature painting and competition is ancillary to that. So to say use a capital palette or uh, crystal brush is like the most is the craziest example because crystal brush, like I was kind of shocked when I attended my first crystal brush because I'd seen all these photos online and all these amazing 
uh, European miniature painters and the best American miniature painters all go to compete. And um, the level of work is crazy, but the quantity is really low. Like they only have two like glass cases full of miniatures. Now to compare that to Monte Sansovino, there's two, three full rooms of just tables lining the walls of hundreds of miniatures just lined up and they're all to just this crazy level. And like they have, they have a, um, a master's and a standard level. And even the standard level is like crazy good. Uh, but just the sheer number of entries is what was so shocking about it. And because it's only focused on miniature painting, they're able to just leave. There's no cases. So you don't have to look at these models through the glass with crappy lights. You just can look at these models on the table just out in the open. And because everybody there's a miniature painter, everybody respects each other's pieces and knows not to touch. It's not like just a bunch of people that don't have their work aiming. They just walk by like, that's why we have to keep stuff in cases and have to worry about people swiping shit. Nobody's going to do that over there. It's, it's, uh, it's a totally different experience and everybody just hangs out and goes to get food together. There was this, the, they do this huge lunch where all the attendees basically fill an entire restaurant and we all sit together and just talk about miniature painting and eat and drink and just have a good time all weekend. So you pretty much show up on Friday, enter your piece, and then just hang out for two days until it's time for the award show. That sounds awesome. It's so, so different too. That, that's such a different uh, sounding environment. You know, uh, have you ever done a uh, ReaperCon? I have not. I'm actually, uh, I think I might attend this year. You, you'll, you'll see Dan and I there. We're actually going to head down for sure. Um, already booked and everything, plane tickets and such. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I, they're also still uh, taking teaching slots available too, I think. I was literally right before recording this podcast, filling out <laughs> teaching forms. <laughs> so, <laughs> excellent, excellent. That'd be great. It'll be uh, hopefully if you go, it'll be great to see you again in person. Yeah, um, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not committing to whether I get accepted <laughs> as a teaching position. Uh, probably by the time this podcast finds out, I'll know whether or not I'll be teaching there. But right now, I'm just submitting. Uh, well, actually, this episode's going to come out tomorrow. So. Oh, well, then I won't know. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then uh, kind of along the same lines, um, who have become kind of your biggest influences in miniature painting? Uh, I, I, I would say I have five. And two of them you've had on this podcast already. Alfonso is probably my biggest. Um, maybe not from a... Um, trying to emulate his style or anything but from a from a theory and just the way he approaches painting the way he thinks about it uh and the way he teaches is he's my biggest influence and honestly like the, the guy that really inspires me to uh get better and yeah so alfonso's my biggest influence roman is another one uh, Roman's I read Roman's blog a ton when starting the mass the Matsu Voodoo blog is just a wealth of information. Um, so he's he was another big one, and then more more from a technical trying to emulate maybe pull little things from them to incorporate into my own style. Mark creates like Mark Masklands paints some of the best skin tones of anyone like his understanding of lighting and volume and how he paints flesh is probably the best in the world um oh yeah man i agree that the uh, the bust i've never seen anybody do ethnic skin tones the way he does so just i could stare at him on paint putty all day long yeah so he's absolutely crazy where it comes to that uh lan uh michael pisarski uh, I love painting non-metallic metal and him and Kirill Kanaev both are like technical wizards when it comes to 
just their sheer skill at representing different materials. So those two are probably one of my, like when I'm, it's so easy now, like with social media and you follow all these people on Instagram or whatever, and you just see like crazy good miniatures every day, right? <laughs> and it's so easy to just like tap like and scroll by, but like when Kareel or Lan or Mark or Alfonso post a piece, those are ones that like, I it makes me stop and like zoom in and really try and study and understand what they're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, there. That's the the world of social media has certainly changed the landscape of miniature painting. You know, that's uh, uh, definitely increased the community aspect of it too. So, um, along those kinds of same lines, we talked about uh, a bit of you have the influences of the teachers. Now you're also teaching classes as well. Um, maybe pre-pandemic. Uh, not so much during the pandemic, but right. um, what made you decide that you wanted to teach? Uh, I really just, well, I started teaching at my local store on just how to, you know, the basics, how to blend, how to, you know, edge highlight, how to use an airbrush, how to do simple bases, whatever, you know, simple color theory, the, just to try and introduce people, because I had a lot of people showing interest on like, hey, I want to get better. Okay, well, I'll organize a class at the local store and try and share the knowledge that's been given to me, right? So uh, I passed that on. And then through that, I was then asked to paint uh, or teach at Nova and teach at, at other uh, conventions. So awesome. Now, how has it impacted your painting, your own painting? Um, you know, it's, I think Mark said in your previous podcast that like you, you almost learn things on the fly as you're teaching when you go to explain something, like they might be things that you are subconsciously thinking about when you're painting, but when you have to put them into words for someone else that you go like, Hey, that makes sense. <laughs> maybe I maybe I do know what I'm talking about, <laughs> and and uh, you, yeah, I I feel like just putting it into words, and that's why I love just talking about miniature painting in general. But like having to explain the theory behind the decisions you're making uh, helps you understand better what you're doing with your own painting. So now, have you um, during that process? Have you figured like have you has it changed your direction at all? Like when, like, does that process, because your process has changed because you're thinking about it, has that caused you to go, okay, well, I'm going to go a different direction with a, with a figure you're working on. I don't know if it's necessarily like a figure that I'm working on at the time, but it's definitely stuff that I've come back to when I'm thinking, like when I'm maybe working on a model later, I'll, I'll think back to like what I was <laughs> what I was trying to instill in other people and be like, I'm doing the thing that I said not to do, you know? <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, I have to, have to fix, have to fix something, you know? So let's switch uh, gears a little bit um, and talk about your actual painting. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask about is um, what kind of miniatures inspire you to kind of do a display piece? Besides just orcs, we know we, we've established the love <laughs> of orcs uh, um, at the beginning, but is there something about a piece that, uh, that jumps out at you or um, if there's anything specific that you look for? Yeah, there's definitely, and this goes into almost all of my pieces that I enter into competition are selected intentionally as, and I know some, some people will tell you don't do this, but I think it's bullshit. Uh, totally do this. It'll you'll get better. Um, I select pieces with the direct intention of practicing a technique that I want to get better at. So if I think that like a model that I can choose for a competition can specifically highlight a technique that I'm trying to get better, I will choose that model as a chance to practice that technique. And if if I fail at it and I don't do well in the competition. Oh well, but I practiced the thing I wanted to get better at, and then the next time I paint a model, I'm 
I've learned something from it and I can incorporate that into the next model. Now, is there something outside of the world of miniatures that inspires you artistically in your miniature painting? Um, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely painters uh, that I enjoy. Um, Frank Rosetta is probably the greatest fantasy painter of all time. His use of color and light is incredible. Some of the old master painters, Caravaggio, Velasquez. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there's Salvador Dali. These guys, you can learn from looking at two-dimensional paintings and incorporate that into your miniature painting. Everything we're learning, we they've these guys have done for hundreds of years. We're just learning to adapt it from canvas to, you know, a 3D sculpture. Now, is there is there an artist of the past that you've ever said, okay, I want to paint a piece that looks their style? Uh, I actually did do a piece specifically for, I did the anonymous bus contest for uh, Banshee's, um, hold on, let me, let me look up. I got to look up the name of the artist right now. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so uh, Henry Matisse was a fathism painter. Uh, he used insanely bold colors. He, you know, wasn't interested in, he didn't do any blending. He had like thick, bold strokes. Uh, and I did an anonymous bust specifically in that style. Now, I don't know if I was exactly replicating his art, but I was taking things from their uh, the theory of what they were doing and trying to incorporate that into miniatures. Now, because I think miniature painting, I, I think we're, it's almost like a renaissance in miniature painting where we're starting to become more accepting of different styles. Like you see people doing like uh, these Frank Miller-esque paintings and yeah. uh, cell like a cell shading and all these other styles of art on miniatures that you know 10 years ago or whatever everything was just like paint super realistic everything's got to be perfectly smooth blended and now we can really try and uh, step outside that and become more expressive and uh, I think people are becoming more accepting of that yeah it's a it's a it's a great time to be miniature painting you know and, and it's one of those hard things too at a competition level you're like every time you go somewhere the level doesn't get gradually better it jumps like the, like the ever it seems like more and there's more people and better and better painters at every competition which is awesome and also you know heartbreaking <laughs> yeah and honestly like i don't i don't envy the judges at all mm -hmm. uh as the styles and things try and start to diverge and people do different techniques like I feel like a while ago it was just like you you looked at the technical aspect of a painting um and now it's like everybody at you know the top level all can do a perfect blend if they want to everybody can paint like ultra crisp lines and everything the, the technique is there now it's like it comes down to uh, application and expression and judging that is so difficult. Right. I can't even imagine, like you said, like looking at a, a hyper-realistic bust that looks like it's going to start talking to you versus somebody who did an amazing cell-shaded cell bust. How do you judge? You know what I mean? Like, how do you even like separate? Yeah. So it's almost like two different categories, you know? Yeah. I mean, how, how do you judge between Kareel who paints like he's a photocopier right like you can take texture and recreate it on a miniature scale and it looks like you could touch it and feel and how do you compare that to someone like alfonso or whatever who's very free with his brush strokes and just can lay down a glob of paint and it looks amazing it's like you know that alfonso could could do those things too if he wanted to but he's explicitly making the choice not to mm -hmm. yeah that's it that, that's what i find that's the other side i find really cool is that people are making those artistic decisions now in this in in the, in the world even just in the the five years that i've been back in miniature painting 
that it's changed so much, you know, <laughs> for sure. Now, um, one of the things I've noticed in uh, work uh, that you've done, like kind of your personal work, um, is that you've done a lot of playing, it seems, with cast shadows. Uh, what kind of made you go that route? I know this is something that's always intrigued me about um, looking at miniatures and you're like, there's, uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is the kind of what, what motivated you go in that direction? Because I know the orc you painted for Monte Sansovino that had cast shadows in it and a couple other things I, I've seen of yours that you posted had. Um, and so what kind of made you decide to, because that's a, a, to me, that's kind of a radical side. Uh, a, a, that's a big change in miniature painting is doing cast shadows. Yeah, I mean, as we get, I think as we get better at representing light and shadow on figures, like it's the next step to go, right? Not every... I mean, if you look at canvas painting or illustration in general, um, and I draw a lot of inspiration, I've been told that like I have an illustrative style to my painting. Um, as as we as you look at that stuff, like the sun casts shadows, right? Not everybody, not <laughs> we just all our miniatures are just standing around in an overcast day, like <laughs> and all shadows are just these soft shadows, or everybody's. I have, you know, my barbarian is lit by a soft box. Like, come on, <laughs> hard shadows are a real thing. And they, I think, I think being able to mix that in to miniature painting can create more dynamic light schemes and, and you can create more interesting shapes uh, with your painting and tell a better story, honestly. And that's kind of what we're trying to do, right? Like how, how do you paint a, a guy that's in a desert, I'm going to paint a model that's in the desert and then he's got no shadows, <laughs> right? <laughs> like he's standing in the middle of the desert, like, and he's not casting a shadow on the ground. Like what? I've never, I don't know. It doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> For sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to say this. I think some of your stuff looks illustrative, but I also think there's other, I don't know. There's other, like I wouldn't, the Huntress that won the uh, best in show, I wouldn't have put in an illustrative style. Uh, but some of the work that you've done for Privateer Press looks a little more illustrative to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I mean, uh, I yeah. think you I think you have a few different styles that I've seen come out of your work. Yeah. And I think I think um, well, if you're going to work professionally, right, you have to have you have to be able to adapt to the style of the uh, what you're painting. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly trying to improve and find my own style. I almost don't know if I've even completely found my own style yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm constantly just trying different things. But I think as I move further into my developing my style, it's become more of an illustrative one. Yeah, and, you know, and when I see when I see uh, or I hear somebody say illustrative, the first thing that comes to mind is flame on miniatures that guy seemed is that to me that's like the ultimate like he almost like he that that's the style he's going for is to look almost like it walked out of like off tv or something like that uh yeah. i'm not sure if you know who i'm talking about flamion yeah yeah is, it, is that how you say it flamion I, I don't know i'm <laughs> i don't i don't know exactly how to pronounce his name so i've never met him in person so um but the uh yeah his work to me almost has like a computer rendered like kind of look to it it's like everything is like so perfect that it's it's almost unsettling <laughs> <laughs> it certainly can be for sure i totally get that um so now we, we've talked about the things that kind of get you motivated on uh, or inspire you to paint what is kind of your process that you go through when you um, start a project so most of the time and a lot recently is when I go to approach a model, I will, uh, especially if I'm trying to do cast the cast shadows and things, I will take light reference studies of, of the miniature I'm getting ready to paint. So I will pull out a flashlight and move it around the miniature to try and find an interesting lighting scheme. Um, then from there, like once I've done that, uh, I'm pretty freeform. I'm not super structured when it comes to like choosing color and, and things. I, I tend to sketch a lot 
um, maybe not as much as some, but I, I will sketch quite a bit on the miniature and then uh, refine from there. And I, I tend to work on the whole miniature at once and um, maybe get everything to like a 50% completion. And then I'll go back and individually refine like sections of the model to uh, what I would consider like 90% and then reevaluate. And I'm constantly evaluating the, the miniature as a whole, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is what you have to do because uh, people, people that tend to paint like one thing at a time to hunt what like they would consider complete, uh, they get so narrowed in on that one thing they lose focus of the entire picture. And then if there's something they need to change on the miniature, they're reluctant to make that change because they've put all of this time into painting this one thing. Like, oh, you, you know, like, hey, this, this all looks good, but the light direction on this piece of the model is not working with the rest well, I spent three hours painting that piece and now I don't want to change it or whatever. <laughs> so I think sketching can get you there, see the see the process, see where you're at, reevaluate and keep working. Now, do, do you do a color sketch or do you do a black and white sketch? I color sketch. Uh, I don't do a lot of black and white sketching. I'll, I'll tend to, once I've picked my light direction, I'll... Uh, Zenithal Prime in the direction that I've chosen. And then from there, I just go straight into a color sketch. Now, what do you, what was, in your process of learning, what was the most challenging technique uh, uh, that it took you to learn? Or what, it, or what has been the most challenging technique? Excuse uh, me. So <laughs> saying that like one of my two biggest influences were Kareel and Lan, and I, I still don't think I'm as good at, as them at it. Uh, they're the, the best in the world, but non-metallic metal is like the one I spent. Uh, I literally painted on models that I could solely focus on showcasing non-metallic metal on for like a year. Mm -hmm. Every single model I painted was like clad in full armor and all I did was practice non-metallic metal. See, and I, yeah, that's, you know, it's really interesting. There's so many different uh, philosophies out there, but I have a tendency to be kind of in your school of thought that intentional practice is a good thing. You know, like, in, like you wanted to learn non-metallic metal, so you painted suits of armor for a year. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, and I think that's, I th honestly, I think that's the way to go. And then after that, I was like, okay, well, my non-metallic metal is pretty good. I want to learn to paint faces and skin better um so i painted a bunch of bus right it's like i'm just gonna paint i'm just gonna paint bus and work on uh the volumes of the face and and learn to do that better so yeah i think intentional practice is really important and as you learn these things you can then incorporate them into other pieces and the work gets better as a whole now do you have um kind of a, a a favorite uh color that kind of like i know a, a big thing in miniature painting right now that is out there in tons of videos is uh, universal highlight and shading colors are there colors that just kind of make your their way to your palette like for me it's like deck tan or eyeshadow just kind of mysteriously appear on my palette even though i don't remember putting them there you know <laughs> yeah i definitely i definitely have ones that i reach for a lot um i love the chimera colors right now uh, I use the red oxide and magenta a lot. Um, I think they make like super rich skin tones. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll also use ice yellow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to stick more toward the primaries now and mix my own tones, but uh, there are definitely certain ones that are just like staples of, you know, I don't need to mix ice yellow because I can just grab the bottle of ice yellow. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, that's, I don't, I think limiting your palette creates a, a more harmonious look overall. So if you can manage to limit, you know, your palette and, and grab certain colors and you're not just like, oh, I need to highlight this leather. I'm going to grab, you know, my 
whatever color from, you know, Games Workshop makes 250 different color paints. Um, if, you, if you can do that with what you already have on your palette, then those colors are then used elsewhere on the model and you create harmonies through that. Right. You know, and that's, a, that's something that's always been fascinating to me that um, that there's that artistic side and that corporate side, right? You know, what is a Vallejo makes like 80 different shades of brown, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and how many people besides uh, Angel Geraldez have all 80, you know, all 80 shades of those brown, right? <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> You know, Citadel and Vallejo are in the business of selling paints, so they, you know, they introduce new colors all the time that get you to buy more paints. Now, I, I don't have a problem. Let me say I don't have a problem with you owning a bunch of different colored paints, but I think I think making a selection and finding the ones that you really like and trying to narrow yourself to certain to certain selections on a model can really help you understand not just color theory better and how to harmonize better you don't need five different color blues tones of blue pots to to paint blue right you can a blue maybe a, a deep purple and a white is enough to paint like a a perfectly good gradient right none of, none of the paints are going to magically make you paint better use the one i have i don't hold brand loyalty to any paint I use the ones that work best for my style of painting. Like I know guys that swear by the old GW paints. Albert Moreto font is one of the best miniature painters in the world. And that guy swears by like the old GW pots. Like <laughs> oh, the, black, paints, the black hexacons, right? <laughs> and it, oh no, the ones before that. Oh my The goodness. ones with like the, the, uh, not the one that you could like paint uh, the like white topped ones. Oh, the like the little one you tore the top off. Yeah, type thing. Oh, okay, <laughs> like he's nice. painting with those. Wow, and, and like he creates just beautiful pieces with this. It's like yeah, that's paint from twenty years ago, and he's still doing amazing work. And like so, yeah, you know, oh, that's I don't awesome. Know. Now, hey. nobody, now nobody's gonna send me any paints. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I have 75 Chimera P3. <laughs> I love all your stuff. Send me free paint. <laughs> I wish we, we've tried on that show. Other show, we, we you know we we get we we've gotten nothing so far. Um, a year of trying. No, actually, not really. But um, our our goal, honestly, we're not we're 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 not a sponsorship looking show. This is a hobby inside a hobby for Dan and I. So. Um, but we will take free shit. So if anybody wants to, <laughs> man, who who wouldn't, right? right. Um, Newton, if you want to send me some free brushes, you're the best. <laughs> you can send him the Windsor Newtons. I'll take the Raphaels. Yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> so that that's there's a good question. That's something that always is a constant um, ask on social media and stuff. Oh, what brush do you use? Like, um, so me, it's a Raphael. The 8404. 84041 is kind yeah. of my workhorse. Uh one and a two, uh, which is there. I guess I guess the one is about the same size as a Windsor Newton two. Um, because they're fatter, a little bit fatter. But what a, what uh you're a Windsor Newton guy? Uh no, honestly, like not really. <laughs> I mean, I do <laughs> I do use them a lot. Uh they're I do use the Windsor Newton series sevens. I like um I've used the Raphael 8404s because the Windsor Newtons were trash for a little while. Yeah. Uh, they've gotten better, but uh, I've been using like these just kind of cheap uh, filbert brushes a lot. They're just like big, fat, round, like flat brushes, mm -hmm. like for doing quick sketching. Like flat brushes are great. Everybody's worried about having like the perfect little point on their brush. Like I'm trying to lay some color down. Like can be that flat brush. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, and I'm, I actually I've, I've kind of changed that mentality too because I uh, I'm painting Magnus the Red for a commission right now, and I like look I'm like do I have a house brush in here I could lay the base coat on with somewhere <laughs> you know because I'm not going to sit here with a size two brush painting it. Um, but no, it's it's interesting. There's so many different tools and stuff out there. What has uh, has any has a new tool new that new tool come out 
since you've been painting that you've been kind of like, well, that's incredible. I know for me, it was the dawn of the, the, the wet palette. Um, when I, when I, when I started back in high school, when rogue trader existed and then took my break and came back into the world of wet palettes, I was like, what is this mad voodoo? You know, um, you know, I don't know specifically, honestly, the tool, the tool I probably use the most besides just my paintbrush or airbrush. And I've been using airbrush since like I started in miniatures. Cause that's basically all I use to paint Gundams. Um, the Dremel is like <laughs> my favorite tool. <laughs> it's like the thing I use all the time. It's just sitting on my desk. Like I need to drill holes or clean a mold line or something. Like I can, I have enough control with it that I can like shave off some flash or something. Like wow. it's, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> all right. That's terrifying to me taking yeah. a Dremel <laughs> to a model of a side select. Yeah. I use mine for a drill too, but, um, to, to, to take flash off man that's you're giving me heart palpitations <laughs> just thinking about and there goes the arm of a 70 dollars model <laughs> so i ha i have so my roommate has the corded one that's got like the um uh, the switch like flicks between the different speeds mm -hmm. so it, it only has like six settings or something and the lowest setting is like crazy fast I have this battery powered one that like you can just barely turn it on. It's like a fully variable speed one. Oh, nice. So if you like just barely flick it on, it spins. I'm going to air quotes slow. It's still <laughs> crazy fast because it's a rotary tool, but it's slower than the slowest speed on like the corded one. Whew. I'm the, I, I, Dad, I don't know. You're going to have to like do a video on using the Dremel for like taking bolt <laughs> lines off because I don't know. That just scares me. <laughs> it's all it's all about the it's all about the little bits and and, and uh ends. There's this like um it's not a drill bit, it's like a just a little ball like on the end of the the tool. Oh, I know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like an engraving bit or something, but like for getting in like tight spaces where where you can't like get to it like it's the best thing ever for like cleaning like really bad mold slips like inside like crevices mm -hmm. and it's like this tiny little ball on the end so i'm gonna have to look into it because uh, i have a smog as a commission and inside all the connection points is like this resin built up gunk and i'm like oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. perfect that's exactly <laughs> what the tool's for just send red wear a mask and send reds and just flying everywhere nice nice that'll be a lot yeah <laughs> Ooh, i'm glad i don't have to start that piece till after ReaperCon. but um okay uh now how about this? Um, one of the kind of the newer questions I've been asking artists is to kind of uh, critique yourself. Where do you where do you feel like you need to work on, and where do you want to go with it? Um, I, I honestly, I think my biggest thing is, I, I yeah, I don't know where I want to go from here. I mean, I'll, I'll keep competing and um, painting box art, doing that, but. I think the biggest thing I want to work on is just continuing to develop my style and and make my pieces recognizable. It's like when you see it, like, hey, that's a piece by Eric, right? Like, if, if you can start to individualize more, I think it's more interesting because there's uh, one of the problems with tutorials and is, you know, because they're so step by step, like everybody starts to paint kind of the same, right? And uh, I mean, it, before even before, like we had YouTube tutorials, everybody painted Space Marines the exact same. It was all the heavy metal style of base coat, wash, edge highlight, right? So it's like everything's very samey. And now, like, and I think a good, I think a good teacher can help you develop your own style, or even a coach more specifically. But there's definitely, you know, if you follow to the T what someone's teaching, you, you're only learning to, to replicate, right? You're not learning to incorporate. So if you can in, incorporate what you learn, take little bits of information and, and transition that into your own style of painting, I think that's the best way to learn. That's an excellent point. Uh, incorporate not replicate 
it's kind of like how, how we'd sum that up. That's pretty awesome. Um, so we, we touched on it a little bit about the box art and that you're doing work for Privateer Press. Um, first, congratulations. The pieces that I've seen you post online have been absolutely jaw-dropping. Um, so that that's really awesome. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Now, we, we've had Matt DiPietro on. Uh, who's like one of the original, you know, like from a while ago. Oh like yeah, man. Press guys. Um, Matt's, Matt's great. I love Matt. He's, uh, uh, he was one of the guys I looked up to, like when I was getting into the wargaming ministry, like not even knowing that that's Matt. It's just like looking at the box art being like, oh, this is so cool. So uh, could you talk to us about this journey though, about how, um, how, how did this kind of happen and what's it been like painting box art? So I think, so what happened was um, I'd been, I'd become friends with a lot of those guys from attending conventions and competing. So I'd gotten to know them and talk about, talk about painting with them. Um, and they, they just reached out to me like, Hey, we need some help. Can you, can you do some work for us? And yeah, I'm, yeah heck yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting painting a box art, right? There's there's a pretty big difference between painting a box art and painting a display piece for competition. When you're painting a box art, it's it's all about like the impact, right? Like the end goal is to sell miniatures to people. Like that's a cool looking mini. I want to buy it. Um, and there's so it's got to look good, like, and it's got to look good from one that that angle of the photograph. So you're painting for photography specifically, not for people to see it in hand. So there's different techniques and and uh, maybe the way you light, light the miniature can be different than if you were to paint it so that you could see it from multiple angles. Uh, one of the best examples I can name is if you saw the work that Big Child did on uh, the Marvel Mm-hmm. GB minis they did for cool mini or not like those are painted specifically to look good from that from the angle that they're photographed the um, the illusion like the ed, the rim lights and things they definitely fall apart like when you turn the model 90 degrees <laughs> right <laughs> so and it's not like they they it's not like they don't work, but they they don't look as good as they do from from that straight on. So, yeah, you want to, I mean, punchy color. Everything has to be well-defined so that you can see all the details of the sculpt. You're trying to enhance the sculpt, uh, not fight the sculpt, because you don't want to misrepresent what the model is either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's... That's some of the big things. And I, th- I think there's kind of two, I think there's sort of two theories on, on the way to paint box art. There's the sort of GW method, the GW theory of like, the models are sort of painted in a, a I guess every man, like they're very approachable box arts, right? They're, you look at a, a unit of, tactical marines or whatever and and you you think like i could achieve that it looks achievable and then there's the like this is the top like this is what the model could look like in you know uh, how do i word that right this is what the model is capable of looking like that's the the high the high-end style box art, the the real like visual impact. Cause I mean, honestly, like there's so much, there are so many miniature companies out there and there's so much stuff coming out constantly that like you sort of have to set yourself apart from all the rest of the noise out there. Mm-hmm. Well, then you throw in the world of 3D printing and all that other stuff too, along with the, the to add to the miniature companies. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, actually, that's always a question that's intrigued me. Um, is that which which school of thought works better, the approachable theory or the holy crap, I'll never be able to paint like that? <laughs> like you know, theory, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know what necessarily sells more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alfonso told me a funny story once 
about um, the Luke and Anakin Skywalker duel he painted for Night Models back in the day. Oh, I remember. And, yeah, and he painted he painted the hell out of that thing, and it looks incredible. He he told me that they that was like a limited edition, whatever, two hundred and fifty run or something like that. They sold out like almost immediately, right? Mm-hmm. So he painted this beautiful ox art. The models instantly sold out. But he said he's never seen anybody else attempt that model. So <laughs> it's almost reaches a point of like, I think it intimidates people. And, I, and the new one for me is, um, if you remember Francesco Farabi's Bellerafonte that they did for uh, the Chimera and the Pegasus fighting at Crystal Rush, they sold that model also. That's another one that's I've never seen anybody else paint it. I know they're gone. You can't yeah. get the, you can't get one. Right. <laughs> but they're yeah, I've never seen anybody paint it. So I I think that's that's an intimidation thing. But then he told me he painted the Boba Fett box art and he wasn't really happy with his painting of the Boba Fett model, but he's seen a ton of people paint it. That's so. it. You know which one I haven't seen? The one, probably the, the probably the me. I maybe on the echelon, the coolest miniatures ever was. There's a knight and a girl on a book. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Uh, that's Atonement by Michael Contreras. And I've only seen like maybe two people paint that. Like I've seen the box art for it, and I've only seen one other person paint it. So uh, there, there's there's actually two different versions of that model. There's the one that Kiriako Simos one. Uh, best in show at crystal brush with mm-hmm. uh that was a like one-off sculpt then michael decided to produce like a mass produced version of it the certain mm-hmm. things about the original like just weren't achievable to cast it was like some of the way the roses and things were coming out of the book just couldn't be done in mm-hmm. resin um i i have seen a few people paint the the production version of that model that's that's another one of those models. Like, oh my god, that's so. <laughs> I don't even know how I would begin to approach that model. You know. <laughs> yeah, and like the models get crazier and crazier, and um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what's. Is it better to sell out all the models if no one ever paints it, or is it better? <laughs> is it better to like, you know, sell some models and and people feel like they can do better than the box art and yeah, it's yeah. tough. Yeah, no, and it, I, I don't. I don't have the sales numbers to know for sure. Well, I mean, honestly, the king of the king of them all is GW, so maybe they're the ones who got the. Yeah, right. maybe, I don't know. maybe maybe they've had it right the whole time. <laughs> uh, now, is there a model that you have that you're like, okay, I'm not ready to approach it yet? Because I know there's a like, a, I, I I don't know if you know who Michael Proctor is. He does a lot of Reaper box art. Um, but we kind of have the same taste for the, a couple of sculptors in Europe. And we both bought this uh, Dream DreamWorks or MindWorks game puppet master thing. It's kind of a diorama with a giant skeletal puppet master thing. And both, and he's a substantially more accomplished painter than I am. <laughs> um, and both of us have said that we've sat there just kind of looking at it going, God, where do we even start with this thing? You know, <laughs> uh, I will say <laughs> that I used to. I used to be intim- like intimidated to paint certain models. Like I'd put it off. After you've painted a one-off sculpture by an artist that there is, <laughs> it's the only one in the world. You kind of lose the fear of <laughs> of ever painting another model again. You're like, yeah, if I screw this up, that's it. It's the only one. But you know, that na- now I think I yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not afraid to approach any project. It's just. It's just finding the time. All right, and I, I'm going to make it clear. Like, I'm the fear. He he just hasn't been inspired yet. I'm the one who's like, holy crap! I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, interesting to me that I that whole one-off sculpt thing sounds so awesome. Um, I don't even know where to begin to like ask questions about it, just because my mind is kind of racing. Like, um. How did you get into the Warcraft? Like, are you a Warcraft player? Is that kind of where the inspiration came from, the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I I used to play. I haven't played since, like, the 
Cataclysm expansion or something. That's probably 10 years ago at this point. Um, but I've always liked the character design and the artwork of Blizzard. So uh, it's, you know, very colorful and um, illustrative style. So uh, yeah, it drew, it drew me to those characters. So I wanted to do something that and I knew Joaquin was a fan also. So it just worked. That, that just worked out for us. Yeah, it sounds like it was the right place, right time, right painter, right sculptor. You know, it sounded like it was a. Uh, I'm definitely. Uh, it, is it okay if I go to your Instagram and grab some pictures to promote the episode? Uh, yeah. With yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely want to put that out there in the anonymous bus because I believe you posted your anonymous bus on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um. So I definitely want to show people the 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 minis we've been talking about. Um. Has working with Privateer Press imp impacted your painting at all? Kind of to go back to the box art. Um, I don't know how much it's impacted my painting. But you, there's things about painting box art that uh, working under very specific deadlines that you you kind of learn what like needs to be um, really impactful and well executed, and what can kind of fall into the background, right? So you, you start to learn where to spend most of your time on. Um, for a competition piece, it's different because the whole model has to be flawless, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, if the back of a model on a, on a box art isn't as good as the front, like whatever, right. <laughs> nobody's going to see it. Nobody's ever going to see it, yeah. I mean, I, I paint, trust me, I paint the back of the models, but do they need to be to the same level? Eh, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, time time management and and uh, learning what's important on a miniature is is probably one of the biggest takeaways I've I've gotten from painting box art. So it sounds like yeah, you've got a triage process almost now, right? <laughs> which is kind of cool. That's uh, you know, I never ate. I always hear the jokes in the story, old stories about people who only painted the front of miniatures because that's all they're they're photographed of. But you know, it never processes it until I'm really talking to somebody who does box art. Um, no, um, one of the the big things that is about this podcast is our motto is called uh, is better, braver, happier painters. And I was wondering if you had. Uh, some type of advice for our listeners as they continue their journey to become better, braver, happier painters. Sure. Um, I think, I think one of the things like people I hear a lot is people are constantly looking for inspiration or motivation to paint. Right. And if you really want to get better, there's, you kind of have to throw that aside and, discipline becomes what's really important um just sitting down to paint is even if you're like not feeling it right then like i know occasionally i'm like eh, i don't really feel like painting but if i just go sit in front of my desk and pick up a brush i will then get into the mood of painting so the discipline's really the thing like you gotta you gotta put in the hours no like no matter what it, whether it's no matter what your goal is of whether it's like finishing your army or or painting for competition like you're not, you're not going to get there unless you put in the time that's excellent yeah no and it's a it, it now do you um i found i've gotten into the habit of having kind of crap models on my desk that i don't care about and that if i'm not in them feeling the mood to paint i kind of paint those instead of like a competition piece do you have anything like that that you do or i know some people will may not paint but they may clean mold lines off a model uh, which, which to me always counts as hobby <laughs> yeah 100 percent. If, if sitting down and just cleaning models and putting stuff together is what get, you know gets you going that's good too but i i also like to take um i'll take breaks in between painting big projects to uh I like to speed paint like a bust once in a while, like um, one of the like academic busts from Hera or one of the anonymous busts from Alfonso. Or, I mean, if you're anything like me, you probably have more miniatures than you'll ever be able to paint. Yeah. Right. So, and, and you feel like you're not doing justice by putting like a hundred percent into 
the model like that you paid for, well, what's really not doing any justice to that model is it sitting in your closet. <laughs> so putting some paint on it and getting some practice and getting some enjoyment out of it is better than it just sitting there. You saying, I'll get to it someday. Well, whatever. I'm going to get to it right now and I'm going to paint on it for three hours. And whatever it looks like when I'm done after three hours or a, a weekend or something is where it's going to be. But it's it's a good way to break out of that. Like, I've been slaving away on this like weapon on this guy for 10 hours because it needs to be perfect. Well, and sometimes you just want to get the enjoyment out of painting and it's not about being perfect. Awesome. Now here I get to ask my favorite question now, which is, um, is there a miniature uh, that hasn't been made yet that you'd like to see made? And I always give my example as I want to see, because, you know, we, we talked earlier and I found Quicksilver from Silverhawks as a 3D, you know, 3D STL. Uh, but my favorite answer is always, I would love to see the characters from the Dark Tower Stephen King's Dark Tower turn into miniatures. Um, is there anything that you'd like to see? Uh, I mean, there's plenty of IPs that like I'd like to see larger scale stuff of. I mean, the the old night models, 75 mil Marvel stuff, I'd love to see come back in some way, somebody to do that. Again, there's so many cool characters. Um, I don't know, there's fantasy, all kinds of fantasy novels and stuff that, that uh stormlight archive has a bunch of interesting characters i'd like to see get made into uh models but i mean some of the cool thing about 3d printing is like there's guys out there just making fan art pieces of these models that like i could say this character and like there could be an stl of, of, of this character out there somewhere so um i don't know League of Legends, I think, is another one that has like a lot of really cool character designs that I, I kind of gravitate to that art style. And I think they make some really cool pieces. So what um, do you have a, a Saturday cartoon, uh, Saturday morning type cartoon or favorite cartoon from growing up? What was your favorite one? Oh, Saturday morning cartoon. What did I, what did I watch Saturday mornings? Man, you made me think back. Hold on. Um, what was all? What was on? I don't know. I sat in as a kid a lot. I played more video games than watched a lot of cartoons. <laughs> I would, if, if I was up and like not doing anything, the Nintendo was probably on. <laughs> I see. I, I, you know, the other one I, I, I always remember after we've had the conversation that I've talked to an artist is like Thundar the Barbarian. That's who I need miniatures for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Eric. It has really been a pleasure just to kind of shoot the shit with you about minis. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. And we'll, um, in the show notes, we will post uh, links to your Instagram. Um, I don't know. Do you have a paint and putty page or? I'm really bad about, I technically do. I think I have just the one piece on there. I'm really bad about uploading to that site. I should probably get better. But yeah, Instagram is the best best way to follow me. Awesome. And it's just Eric Swinson on Instagram. Eric underscore Swinson on Instagram. Fantastic, man. And I hope we get a chance to see you in person on at ReaperCon. Oh, I hope so, man. I can't wait to get back to cons and see everybody and, and chat with people in person. And Dan and I would like to thank Eric Swinson for joining us today. You can follow his work on Instagram at Eric underscore Swinson. Um, Go to his page, subscribe, like, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, his artwork is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing your journey and your knowledge of the world of miniature painting with us. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan. Check us out on Twitter at Listening to Paint Dry, or our handle is at Dry Painting. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, ideas about future shows, or want to share with us what you're working on, send us an email at listening to paint dry at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, and follow anywhere you get your podcasts from. We are on Amazon. We are on all over the place. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher. If you go there and follow or like or subscribe to us, please leave us a good review. That will help out the show a great deal. So this week to close out the podcast, we have something a little bit different. We joined the Audrey Podcast Network, which is kind of a free social networking thing and uh, cross-promotional 
uh, group to help podcasts get their word out. Uh, this week we are collaborating with Fire Breathing Kittens, which is a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. So here is a 30 second promo about their podcast. We'll be back after you hear it. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order that you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. So we'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Again, thank you so much to Eric Swenson for joining us. And remember, incorporate, not replicate the masters to become a better, braver, happier painter. Until next time. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.